Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, there's a few stories here from over the weekend that are certainly worth mentioning and bringing up and sort of breaking down here. Uh, some of it, again, is just blatantly against the law, and other parts of it, again, could have been completely avoided from these from these educators, had they, and administrators, I should say, as... Uh, you know, if they just knew sort of what their role really was and they, they didn't overstep their boundaries. Again, regardless of one's political lean, when an administrator starts to micromanage what goes on inside of a classroom and they start to make mention of particular things over the PA system or over the video system that exists in a school where everybody can see it and, and again, everybody can record it because everybody has a cell phone, that's where things can really become very problematic. Uh, as innocent as this sounds, this first story, it's it's certainly a bit of a problem because again, it's a, it's just an example of what happens when a principal is very passionate about something in the right way, but even that is going to get them in trouble. Uh, so it, again, this comes from the College Fix from Greg Piper. Uh, associate editor, and it's titled, Principal Who Criticized Big Tech Censorship Sues School District for Suspending Him. It says, Superintendent told principals to talk about capital riots as, quote-unquote, a teachable moment. And it says, quote, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I just want to help you think. Principal Barton Thorne told Cordova High School students last month, a few days after the January 6th riot at the Capitol. His recorded video message, which plays weekly in homeroom, went on to explain the threat of social media platforms deciding who gets to speak. President Trump and many of his supporters have been removed from their accounts, and the competing social media platform Parler removed from its web host in the wake of the riot. Tennessee Shelby County Schools quickly put Thorne on administrative leave and opened a disciplinary investigation for quote-unquote professional misconduct. Thorne's lawyers demanded the district immediately reinstate him and publicly apologize for suggesting his actions were inappropriate. A month after that warning, Thorne has filed a federal lawsuit against the district and Superintendent Joris Ray for violating his First and Fourteenth Amendment rights and employment contract, as well as inflicting emotional distress and damaging his reputation. The principal was firmly following Ray's directions to discuss January 6th with students. The January 25th warning letter says the superintendent emails to staff suggested several educational resources, including the National Constitution Center lesson plan on structuring debate among students about the importance of free speech on social media. Okay, so here's what we have here. We have a superintendent who told people to use the Capitol riot as a teachable moment. That's overreach right there from the superintendent immediately. Huge mistake. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, that's all they have to focus on. But now they start to get political, and as soon as they toss that stone right into the middle of a lake, it creates one ripple effect after another, and then it ends up causing something like this, where the principal ends up taking a logical stand against social media and the suppression of free speech and the suppression of our rights, but that goes against what the superintendent wanted. The superintendent is probably a leftist uh, in this scenario, clearly, and the principal is not. So the superintendent get, didn't get what they wanted. 
I'm not saying, again, that the principal is wrong. They're clearly not. It's the superintendent's fault. The superintendent set this up to backfire one way or another. And again, for this Joris Ray superintendent, uh, which is apparently their name, they apparently thought that everybody just agreed with them. Use it as a teachable moment. For what? For your own leftist mean? For your own... uh, for your own, just to further your own political viewpoints, it just it's it's just overreach that has no place in a K twelve school building. When they become political centers, when K twelve school buildings become political centers and micromanaging of principals and administrators and teachers, then that filters down to the students, and then the students have nowhere to go, who are forced to go there. So. My point is this. The unprofessionalism started with the superintendent by, by stirring the pot, so to speak, and, uh, and it backfired on him because clearly not every single administrator agrees with them. And this principal was reminding their students and staff that uh, suppression of free speech is a bad thing and it's not a good thing. And if you're going to have debates in the classroom, then they need to be open and back and forth and cordial and whatever. Now, people who listen to this podcast know my take on debating in the classroom. I don't think it has any place whatsoever. Any debate, as I've said before, and I'm not going to consistently rehash this, but it's the exchange of opinions. It's not the exchange of facts. If it was the exchange of facts, then there would be no debating. There would be no need. So a debate, you're you're just trying to convince somebody of something that they don't want to believe. Um, unfortunately, again, this is... This is sort of par for the course, and this happens all the time. It doesn't always make national news like this or websites like this, but sometimes it does. Uh, continues here by saying, quote, Thorne was not given fair notice that his speech on a timely topic in line with accepted teaching standards could get him in trouble. The lawyers warned arbitrary enforcement of vague and overbroad contract provisions is not permissible, especially when the district permits numerous other teachers and administrators to speak on timely public issues without facing discipline. It's true. It's clearly a double standard. But again, the business of commenting on political issues, I don't think has a place. I just don't think that it does. That's not why they are there. Not to mention, again, in my opinion, we're talking about positions that shouldn't even exist. I just don't think that they should exist. I don't think that the superintendent position is a position that should exist. I don't think that assistant superintendents need to exist. It's just too much big government. It's too much bureaucracy, and this is what happens when you have too much of all of that. Uh, Continues, and it says, Employees repeatedly criticized Trump in tweets, explicitly or implicitly. A communications strategist for the district, Jerrica Phillips, tweeted shortly after the election that authoritarianism is a form of government characterized by the rejection of political plurality. Unquote. The innovation chief, Amity... Amity Schuler tweeted that a photo of the Confederate flag on the Capitol on January 6th represented the sum of four years, quote, unquote, of Trump's presidency. So you've got countless people in this district who are hard leftists tweeting out all these different things, but the only people who are uh, experiencing any of the repercussions are the individuals on the right. And again, that right there is the double standard, and uh, again, good for good for this principal for pushing back legally. He should get his job back immediately. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he if he's no longer in that building. He may take a job somewhere else, but I don't know. This is a, this is this is big. This is a big deal. It's a big lawsuit. The school district has nowhere to stand because so many other people have uh, have, t- have tweeted out so many other things that others would consider to be remarkably radical. And there you have it. So the double standard continues without a doubt. Uh, let's see. Okay, this next one is a bit strange, and it's Ivy League University offers rock climbing class, no white students allowed. This comes from Cassandra Fairbanks, a Gateway Pundit. Cornell University was offering a racially segregated rock climbing class for their students' physical education, but no white students allowed. The physical education class, B-I-O-P-O-C, uh, rock climbing, was originally slated to be restricted to people who identify as black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, or other people of color. I don't think I have to continue with this story. That's illegal. That's called discrimination based on race. That's a federal crime. You can't do that. So every student who signs up for it and is told that they're not allowed to sign up for it should sue. And they should do it in groups, and then you have a class action lawsuit, and then they'll either do away with the class to cover their backsides, or, uh, yeah, that's probably what they'll end up doing. They'll just end up getting rid of the class because, well, that's racism. If you think racism is real, it's certainly bigotry, but um, there you go. So there's that. This is the last one that I wanted to cover very quickly, and this is interesting too, because this is one of those sort of I'd say magnifying glasses on on and, and certainly shining a light rather on something that probably doesn't even have to exist. It certainly didn't in the past, uh, before the 1990s, um, and of course it hasn't been used throughout 2020. And that's the business of state standardized tests. Uh, not to mention, in the past there was no such thing as talented and gifted classes, but there are talented and gifted classes now, and I've spoken a little bit about that and how problematic they can be. But this right here is different than all of that. Uh, It's a perfect example of what happens when that word equity shows up again. And again, this isn't new. This has been going on for quite some time. But this too comes from the Gateway Pundit, and it's titled, Boston Public Schools Remove Advanced Programs Because They Weren't Diverse Enough. So it says, quote, Boston public schools have shut down their advanced programs and are focusing on an anti-racist curriculum because officials were disturbed that there were too many white and Asian students in the classes. Again, this kind of stuff is, it's just repetitive. It's just remarkably repetitive. And they're getting rid of these talented and gifted classes because they don't want it to make, they don't want to make it look like anybody is not a, uh, that certain groups of people aren't achieving, in particular black Americans. But what they're not telling you is that there are also Asian students who aren't in those advanced classes. There are plenty of white students who are never in advanced classes. And the business of these advanced classes and all these other college prep classes and what have you, it really does create, in my opinion, a false sense of intelligence among both students and the teachers who teach them. I've met, a, I've met a great deal and worked with a number of teachers who teach in these quote-unquote talented and gifted classes, and I have to tell you, they themselves are not talented and gifted teachers. There's nothing about them 
that screams talented and gifted teacher. Um, many of them, unfortunately, have been some of the dumbest people that I've ever met in my entire life. And what's funny is that how do they get those jobs? Well, they simply take an area exam and then they apply to be a talented and gifted teacher. And then that's about it. You sign a piece of paper, the schedule works out, usually a lot of favoritism is involved. They usually have to get along with the principal or be best friends with the principal of the school building, somebody in the higher you know higher echelon, so to speak, of, of the school district, and then they become a talented and gifted teacher. And then they walk around with their chest out, thinking that because their students are doing well, that it must be because they're an excellent teacher, when in fact, they're just probably really good students. They read, they write, they think, they work hard, they get their stuff done, they turn it in on time, and then they go home. So it's not brain surgery, and it's not complicated why people excel in particular classes. The sad part is that they're trying to lower the bar for students. And by doing that for some students, they're actually doing it for all students. So they're making excuses for students who aren't doing well by saying, well, don't worry, you students who aren't doing well. What we're going to do is, is we're basically just going to extinguish any of the over-excelling that's taking place among these quote-unquote talented and gifted students, and then we're just going to get rid of those, and then we're going to mix up the schedule, and everybody's going to be in the same class again. You know, I, I, don't, I really don't know what else to say about it other than the business of talented and gifted classes has just been another way to segregate students within a school building and create further division and conflict. And it does that too between the people who work inside of those buildings. Teachers look down on each other all of the time. Talented and gifted uh, teachers look down on special education teachers all of the time. Special education teachers usually despise talented and gifted teachers because, again, some groups walk around with their chests chests out and their noses up in the air like uh, they smell like roses all the time, and and they don't, or as as if uh, you know they're, they're the smartest bunch in the lot when in fact they're not. So I don't know. It's it's remarkably unfortunate that that things like this take place because again, even when you remove these courses, such as talented and gifted courses, what you're really doing is is you're punishing the students who you know are at the quote-unquote bottom of the academic rung, so to speak. And you're actually just humiliating them even more um, by making excuses for their lack of achievement and their lack of hard work. And you're doing the exact same, of course, to those that are considered quote-unquote talented and gifted. It's the labels that I think are just petty. They don't mean anything. It has nothing to do with college success. It has nothing to do with job success. It has nothing to do with happiness. All of those labels uh, that exist, just it just has nothing to do with perseverance and dedication because you can't test those things. The only thing that, that is the true measurement for, for, for perseverance and intellect, I suppose, is the test of time. You just have to let time pass. Those people continue to read. They continue to learn. They continue to advance themselves, pick up new things along the way, remain law-abiding citizens. That's really the true mark of success. It has nothing to do with the fact that they got an A++++ in some math class when they were in high school. That doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just a false sense of achievement.
Not to mention the other reason that they're doing away with such classes and schools do away with such classes is because they're trying to sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, pad the stats, so to speak, and fortify their bottom line as best that they can and make it look like everybody's just excelling at the same rate because they're all in the same classes. So it's a math game. It's an average game and an averages game. Uh, you take some talented and gifted students, quote-unquote, who get straight A's all of the time. You stick them in a class with students who get C's all of the time. Before you know it, everybody sort of averages out to the 80% range to 89% range, if not a little over that. And then that teacher says, well, you know, the A's balance out the C's and everybody's doing fine. So, you know, we're now a B or an A school as a result. Um, it's also indicative, again, of just poor teaching. If individuals are teaching it, uh, students who are not in these talented and gifted classes and those students are not excelling, then that's there's something wrong with the teacher also. The teacher's either not telling them the truth, they're not making the class interesting, they're not taking a subject that would normally be boring and making it interesting. It's things of, it's things of that nature. Uh, and you don't have to do it by being superficial or trying to do a song and dance as you're trying to teach a particular subject to make it interesting. But it's just, I think, very indicative of a larger problem, which is bad teaching and bad administrating. Because now, again, they're just manipulating the system to try to make themselves look better than they actually are. And uh, that's not new, and that happens all of the time, and it's unfortunate, but not every school does that. You know, there are a lot of charter schools out there, for example, that don't have the quote-unquote talented and gifted because they simply say, everybody who comes here and wants to learn is talented and gifted. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to raise the bar as high as we possibly can. In fact, the talented and gifted uh, illusion, I would say, is that the content is somehow different. And that's not true. Two plus two equals four in any talented and gifted class, and the same is true in any mainstream course or any special ed course. The difference has to do with the workload. But adding more work or homework onto a student doesn't mean that they're going to be brighter. It doesn't mean they're going to be more successful. There's absolutely nothing that proves that. In fact, I've brought this book up before, but Suicide Among Talented and Gifted Adolescents I believe is the title from Dr. Tracy Cross, and I've recommended that book to anybody, and everybody should read that. It's an excellent book. But uh, in that book, he, he clearly states that the individuals whose minds tend to be broken the quickest are those who are in talented and gifted classes because they're given all of these false senses of accomplishment or that they are the cream of the crop, so to speak, or the best of the best, when in fact, there's no way to measure that. As we all know, those who actually homeschool tend to be the best and the brightest within any town or city. They're the most well-versed. They, they read at a higher rate. They have the freedom to explore the real world that we live in and the content that's available without being constricted to reading particular things or watching particular things and not being able to investigate any questions that they have. So, 
it's just more illusion games and it's more trickery, unfortunately, on the part of these failing schools that are doing this and they're they're looking for some kind of a way out. And this is one of the ways that they do it. They start getting rid of advanced programs in order to make themselves look better. And it really just makes themselves look worse. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.